0: God created marriage for husband and wife to enjoy. Uh, When a man and woman grow closer together and approach marriage, it can be exciting. It can be electrifying, actually. The desire for love, acceptance, companionship, even sex is rich and vigorous, uh, quite impassioned. And that's really good. That's how God made it to be. be. The pursuit is is wonderful as well as the consummation. But as so often happens, probably for all couples to a certain extent, after the wedding and maybe a little lapse of time, the blaze of marital love dies down a bit. And maybe for some it dies down a lot. Love fades into disinterest. There are various reasons for this. But a big reason is couples stop striving for greater closeness. They stop investing themselves in each other. Acts of affection and kindness grow infrequent. Life gets busy. Laziness sets in and the pursuit of other things somehow replaces their pursuit of one another in a healthy marriage. Couples lose sight of the gospel and begin to resent and blame each other, which pushes them apart. Their vows become a distant memory and zeal to honor those vows wanes. Passionate, romantic love becomes infrequent and temptations for adultery heighten. Before too long, because of ungodly patterns in marriage, couples stop delighting in the many uh, joyful benefits of marriage and simply go through the motions. They experience marriage as a dispassionate contractual agreement, a task-oriented partnership, a a financially favorable housing situation. It may look like marriage, but it has no heart. It has no heart. Many just divorce. Many eke out a, a mediocre and miserable coexistence, yet some find greater passion and love because they work really hard to recover passion and love. They do what it takes to recover, but in the process, they find out that they have not only recovered, but they have gained something greater. In 1958, Dean Martin sang, Return to me. Anybody? That's a little hoarse. But uh, he says, Oh, my dear, I'm so lonely. Hurry back, hurry back. Oh, my love, Hurry back, I am yours. Return to me, for my heart wants you only. Hurry home, hurry home. Won't you please hurry home to my heart? And I think deep down, that's what a lot of married couples really want. The struggling married couples even, they really want that. They want the heart of their spouse back. But maybe when they look at their marriage, they see no way to return. They see no path to return. My friends, we do this with God. We do this with God. Sometimes our affection for God grows cold. We invest little and we find ourselves going through religious motions. All the while God is calling to us, return to me, return to me. And that's exactly what God said to Judah in Malachi 3.7, return to me and I will return to you. And maybe after years of being a Christian, Your affection for God has grown cold. Maybe you're just going through religious motions like Judah was in the days of Malachi. You may have invested very little into your relationship with God through the years. Yes, you may read the Bible a little, pray a little, attend church a little, give a little money. But if you're honest, you're just going through religious motions and you've neglected your holiness. Maybe you've rebelled by relaxing your morality and showing indifference toward the significance of sin in your life. Maybe your relationship with God has cooled to a dead tradition or orthodoxy. Now, that's not the case for all of you. I know that, but I think it might be the case for some of you. Can you hear God lovingly calling to you saying, Return to me! Return to me, and I'm praying that God will revive your delight in him and draw you closer through this series. You don't have to accept a mediocre and unexciting relationship with God. It doesn't have to be that way. You can return to him, and he will forgive you, and you can be passionate for him, but you must repent and you must return to him. The first line of Malachi is the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Seeing that Malachi means my messenger, some scholars take the word Malachi as a description of an anonymous author rather than a proper name. But it's it's really most natural when reading the book to accept Malachi as the author's name. There's really no good reason for rejecting that view. Regardless, God put truth into this man and called him and sent him to preach a spiritual wake up call to God's people. The message was bold. Malachi was bold for preaching it. A spiritual wake up call absolutely was needed, and Malachi was the right man to bring the heat. But he didn't just bring the heat. He brought a message of hope and promise and greater joy. Dr. Andrew Hill notes this. As a stern prophet, he rebukes and warns priests and people alike of God's impending judgment. As a compassionate pastor, he calls his audience to repentance and closes his sermon with words of encouragement and hope. So expect at least two things from Malachi sharp words of rebuke from God and beautiful words of grace from God. Be ready for that. This series should expose sin in you. God doesn't sugarcoat it, so be ready for that. If, if you're really listening, you will find that you are uncomfortable at times during this sermon series. But beyond that, you should also taste of the sweetness of the beauty and the glory and majesty of Christ. Jesus Christ, this book, will be very, very bitter for you if you don't taste the sweetness of Jesus Christ along the way. So the way to get the most out of this book is to humbly receive God's rebuke. Take it, accept it, want it, but then follow his tender voice and return to him to enjoy being loved by him. Return to God's lavish grace and forgiveness and love and power. Be like gold, refined and purified in the fire. And if you receive Malachi with that kind of humility, you will be deeply blessed by this little book. Deeply blessed. Let's get the historical background. The northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed in 722 BC, destroyed. Much later, in the 6th century B.C., Jehoiakim was king of Judah in the south, and during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, or during his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, conquered Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar carried off the treasures of the temple and the king's palace, and many Jews were exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon, and only the poorest of the land remained. Then Nebuchadnezzar appointed Zedekiah as a puppet king. Zedekiah eventually rebelled, which led to the complete destruction of Jerusalem, including the temple, in 586 BC. So with Jerusalem smoldering, 2 Kings 25 verse 21 ends like this, so Judah was taken into exile out of the land. Only some poor people remained. That ended the great kingdom of Judah. God wrecked the, nor- the northern kingdom, and God wrecked the southern kingdom. God wrecked the temple. Why? Why would he do this? God's people rebelled against him. God's people committed idolatry, and God was sick and tired of the wickedness in his people, and so he deported them in the fury of his judgment and wrath. Now, advance a little bit. Cyrus was king of Persia. He didn't like Babylon. And so he entered the capital of Babylon and conquered it, which made Cyrus the ruler of the largest empire that the world had seen up until that point. Check out Ezra 1, verses 1 through 4. Cyrus decreed that Judah return to Jerusalem and rebuild. Ezra says that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. Cyrus knew that God had given him all the kingdoms of the earth, and Cyrus actually said, this is a direct quote, he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Can you imagine how Cyrus's decree would have sounded to Judah? It would have been absolutely amazing. Cyrus ended their Babylonian captivity Judah was going home. The temple would be rebuilt. The worship of Almighty God would thrive again. God's people, yes, the temple, yes, Jerusalem, yes, the prophets. Haggai and Zechariah encouraged the people in the temple reconstruction, promising God's blessing, prosperity, expansion, peace, and the return of God's presence. Man, His glorious presence. To return. The anticipation of God's people was big, was huge, as they returned back home. Ezra and Nehemiah recounted the rebuilding process. You can read about that there. It took a while, but Cyrus's decree was accomplished during the reign of Darius I. Scholars Raymond Dillard and Tremper Longman commented The immediate post exilic period was a time of great optimism. Access was granted to Palestine. The process of rebuilding had begun. In particular, the temple, the symbol of God's presence in the city, was rebuilt. Nonetheless, Judah remained a relatively insignificant province of the Persian Empire. God did not appear to give success to his people. Thus, discouragement set in with concomitant moral lapses. End of quote. So understand what happened Judah returned home. Judah rebuilt Jerusalem, the temple. But Judah was no longer great. Judah was small and insignificant. It was relegated to a small region operating beneath the dominion of the Persian Empire. Where were the glorious days of David? Where were the glorious days of Solomon in this great kingdom? Where was God's promised Messiah, king? Where was God's promised blessing and prosperity and expansion and presence? What is going on here? Malachi was probably written around 450 B.C., about 65 years or so after the completion of the temple. Malachi wrote in a time where God's people had been worshiping in the rebuilt temple for several years. However, the grandeur of it all was gone. It was lost, and and the people were living in sin See, the Messiah hadn't come. God's glorious presence seemed distant, far off, and and nothing seemed to be happening. What's, What's going on here spiritually? God's people were disappointed. God's people were disillusioned. What was God doing? Which brings us to the spiritual problems of God's people. God's people were in a sorry spiritual state when Malachi prophesied. Scholars Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart write this, In a time of spiritual disillusionment, Israel has grown weary of Yahweh and of keeping his covenant. Malachi's book is a graphic indicator of the moral and spiritual apathy of the time, which expressed itself in various forms of contempt for Yahweh and the covenant. Contempt. Malachi was prophesying to spiritually apathetic people. They were very religious people doing religious things, but their hearts were far from God and their worship was unacceptable to God. They needed a spiritual wake-up call and yet through Malachi, God lovingly called to them, return to me, return to me and I will return to you. God hated their spiritual apathy God hated their distrust in His sovereign plan. God hated their corruption of worship. God does not tolerate spiritual apathy ever. He will either condemn people in it or He will save people from it, but He does not tolerate it. So the book of Malachi, if you read it and get into it, is God's scathing but gracious rebuke of His people. Now, Almost 2,500 years later, we need God's scathing but gracious rebuke of our spiritual apathy and our corruptions of life and worship. We need to hear God lovingly say to us, return to me, return to me from your dead orthodoxy, from your going through the motions, return to me. Judah failed to look ahead at the coming of the Messiah King who would fulfill the promises of God, and we fail to look to Jesus, the Messiah King, who has fulfilled the promises of God for us. We need a spiritual wake-up call. Two technical aspects of Malachi. There are two technical things about the way that Malachi was written. Hopefully they can help you at least a little bit. First, Malachi uses what's called a chiasm, which is just a structure of of writing. A chiasm is a literary device uh, that states a sequence of ideas and then states them in reverse order. So the idea is A, B, C, and then C, B, A. That's kind of how the structure of the book is. Essentially, Malachi is structured around six arguments, one and six parallel, two and five parallel, three and four parallel. So you'll see that throughout the book, and that'll unfold in the coming weeks of the series. So hopefully that helps you understand the content. Second, as we move through the book, you're going to see this pattern of God stating a certain issue and then the people questioning that issue and then God coming in at the end and responding to that issue. And you can expect to hear God's sarcasm. Yes, God is sarcastic at times and you're going to hear that through the book. As we head into Malachi, I want to begin with the first verse, which is the heading of the entire book, and I'm going to make just one simple point uh, that will set the tone for how we study this book, for how we listen to this book, for how we preach this book, or I preach this book. God still speaks to us through his prophetic word. God still speaks to us through his prophetic word. Verse 1 says this, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. That's a very important sentence for this book. And how you interpret this sentence will inform how you study this book. You need to get verse one right or you lose the entire meaning and benefit of this book. So from, from the outset, we've got to get this right. Malachi begins the Massah or the oracle which is an utterance of God, a divine expression. And the HCSB, uh, interestingly, puts it this way, a prophetic speech of a threatening or menacing character. So from the start, Malachi touts his book as a very serious and alarming utterance of God. He said, the oracle of the word of the Lord. The oracle was God's speech. Yahweh had something to say which makes sense because Yahweh is personal. Father, Son, Spirit are three divine and distinct persons, yet one God who relates perfectly within the Trinity. So God speaking through rational and intelligible language to creatures that he created is completely logical. We would expect that. God created humanity to relate To him, that's why we exist. So our purpose of existence assumes that God will communicate with us and he has ever since the beginning of humanity. All throughout Malachi, you'll hear phrases like, says the Lord and says the Lord of hosts and declares the Lord. In fact, if you study the other prophets of scripture, the same type of phrasing appears. In his prophecy, Forty-nine times Ezekiel repeats the phrase, the word of the Lord came to me. Zechariah 9.1 and 12.1 say, "Quote the oracle of the word of the Lord. Jeremiah 37.2 says, but neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. Hosea 1-1, the word of the Lord came to Hosea. Joel 1-1, the word of the Lord came to Joel. Micah 1-1, the word of the Lord came to Micah. Haggai 1-1, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel and to Joshua. The phrase, thus says the Lord, appears some 417 times in the Old Testament. What we read in Malachi and in the rest of scripture is God's speech. In Malachi, God was communicating to Israel, which seems anachronistic considering the nation of Israel was destroyed almost 300 years before Malachi was written. And Judah was directly addressed three times in the book. Malachi prophesied to Judah. So what is meant then by Israel? Why start off with Israel? Judah was God's remnant. They were part of Israel. They were from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so the promises of God belonged to them. They were God's covenant people, people obligated to obey the covenant stipulations, yet they were unfaithful in those stipulations. Verse 1 concludes with, by Malachi, or through Malachi, which is more literally, by the hand of Malachi. So understand what verse 1 is saying. The oracle originated with God, uh, it, it was the Lord's oracle. It was the, the Lord's word to Israel. And it came by the hand of Malachi. It came from Malachi, absolutely. However, he was not the origin of the message. God was. Because God put the oracle into his chosen prophet, Malachi, to proclaim the wake-up call to God's people. Do you understand? You following me? Shake your head. No? Okay. Half of you. Are. Okay, more of you now. Yes. So here's what I think verse 1 establishes for us as we head into the content of this book. When I preach it, and when you hear it, God is speaking to us. Do you understand that? This is not a small thing happening here. God speaks through the preaching of His Word, through the reading of His Word, through the studying of His Word. This is not simply a best-selling ancient piece of literature. This is not simply history. This is not simply religious prose published to help people how to live a better life. And it's certainly not fantasy or mythology. And it's not even simply true. Malachi is a direct message from God to the people of Judah in the 5th century BC through God's chosen prophet, his chosen spokesman, his chosen herald. But Malachi is also God's message for anyone who reads it and heeds it. Today, God speaks. You and me can hear the voice of God. God exhaled Malachi, He exhaled it to be a relevant and helpful. <clears throat> And life-changing word for us. We, we can't read this book like we read other books. It's, it's not like other books. This is in an entirely different category. We must read it and preach it and treat it for what it truly is, God's exhaled word directly to us. And we must expect that the Holy Spirit of God will teach us and transform us through it. Many people today, they're confused about how to hear the, the voice of God. How do we hear the voice of God? A lot of confusion. Many people have stories and theories about hearing God's audible voice, some very bizarre stories and theories, and I don't really want to get into those views. I don't want to get into that. I'd rather cut to the chase and simply represent what the Bible teaches. We hear God's voice through the Bible, We hear God's voice through the Bible. In the year 2017 and beyond, until the return of Christ, God speaks directly to us through the Bible. More than a collection of ancient books written by men appointed by God, which it absolutely is, the Bible is God's exhaled and authoritative word for everyone. All of it, all 66 books of the Bible, including Malachi, come directly from from God. Every letter of the Bible is read. Every letter of the Bible is breathed out and endorsed by the Father, endorsed by the Son, endorsed by the Holy Spirit. All of it is sacred. All of it has divine origin. And I don't know about you, but I want to hear God's voice. I need to hear God's voice. And so the question is, do you long to hear your Creator speak to you Directly to you. Do do you want to be taught and instructed by God Himself? Do you hunger and thirst for that? Well, then you must go to the Bible. You must go to the Bible. You you must open it up. You must pray that the Holy Spirit of God teaches you through it. You must meditate deeply and carefully on the words that you find on the pages. You hear God's word through the pages of sacred scripture. Now, what we see in verse 1 is all throughout the Scripture. It is an all-important doctrine that theologians refer to as inspiration. Inspiration. The doctrine of inspiration is absolutely essential when studying the Scripture. You have to get it. So in in the few remaining minutes that that I have, I want to summarize the doctrine of inspiration so you can better understand it so that you can better understand verse one, so that you can better understand the book of Malachi, so you can better understand the whole scope of Scripture, and so that your trust and and your confidence and your joy in God's word in the Scriptures increases. It's a goal in the remaining time. Let's start with the prophet Moses. God actually came down in a pillar of cloud, and standing by the entrance of the tabernacle, God said this to Aaron and Miriam. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? God authenticated the unique prophetic role and office of Moses. God had revealed himself in visions. God had spoken in dreams. But with Moses, God spoke mouth to mouth in rational, intelligible language. Moses saw the form of God. Unbelievable. God intimately spoke truth to Moses and in turn, Moses spoke truth to the people as a prophet. Now listen to Deuteronomy 18, written by Moses, 18, 17 through 22. These are some of the words that God spoke to Moses. Listen carefully for the doctrine of inspiration. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. God promised to raise up a prophet from um, um Israel. that's Jesus Christ. He's in the Old Testament, but God would raise up a succession of prophets leading up to the great prophet, and that foreshadowed Jesus as the great and mighty prophet of God. God said, "I will put my words in His mouth. Jesus Christ is the Word of God, made flesh. He's the message of God, the gospel of God, the good news of God in the flesh, incarnate. Malachi was a partial fulfillment of that prophecy of being raised up. God raised Malachi up. Now, what would happen if some nutbag false prophet comes along and and starts spewing out deceptions that aren't in line with God's word? In the name of God, I have spoken a word that comes from God for you. How do you, what do you do with that? Well, listen to what God told Moses, continuing in verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Only divinely authorized prophets can speak God's words. Period. Period charlatans die god commanded israel to kill false prophets but that doesn't really clarify how to discern god's words from some of these deceptions that people might spew out in the name of god so listen to verses 21 and 22 and if you say in your heart how may we know the word that the lord has not spoken When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Israel would know if the word came from the Lord by whether that word actually came true in history. It was testable. And any word that failed was not from the Lord, went back on that prophet, and there were the severest consequences. Harold Camping, you might know that name, predicted the return of Christ multiple times and was wrong every single time. And people still believed him. And there are two obvious problems with Camping's prophecies. One, God clearly tells us in Scripture that no one knows the time or the day or the hour when Jesus Christ will return. If you knew the Bible right away, you know Camping's out to lunch. Two, Camping's first prophetic prediction didn't come true. Even after Camping's multiple failed prophecies, Family Stations Incorporated, which I believe he helped find, uh, found, one of three, still invested over $100 million in a global distribution of a false prophecy that didn't come true. million, never came true. When Malachi spoke, Malachi got it right because it was from the Lord. It was an oracle of God. Now, for those of you who know atheists and agnostics, maybe some of you are atheists or agnostics, so as you interact, Christians hear this one thing that is so compelling as you share Christ with your non-Christian friends. Fulfilled prophecy is one of the most rational and compelling reasons to trust the reliability of the Bible. Fulfilled prophecy. Now, let me give you an example. I, I mentioned Cyrus, who conquered Babylon and decreed that God's people return to Judah and rebuild the temple. Isaiah prophesied that event 150 years before Cyrus came to power. And it wasn't an obscure prophecy that somehow, oh, you're twisting that, yeah, yeah. Israel, or Isaiah rather, mentioned him by name and told what he would do before Cyrus was even born. Isaiah 44, verse 28 says this. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. 150 years before that event happened, Friends, inspiration is about God putting true words into appointed prophets to proclaim His message of absolute truth, and those words always come to fruition. What the Bible tells you is coming. It will happen. It has happened. We can't lighten the the blow of that message. Jesus Christ alone fulfilled so many precise Old Testament prophecies, it's absolutely irrational to reject Scripture. Scripture irrational when you see what Christ fulfilled. Look at his birth. That alone. So let's go to probably the most famous verse in the doctrine uh, on the doctrine of inspiration, 2 Timothy 3:16. Paul said this, all scripture is breathed out by God, Malachi included. Paul used this word theopneustos which is a compound word of God and breath. Sacred Scripture is breathed out from God into the writer who proclaims it and who records it. Malachi is the perfect breath of God exhaled into the prophet and proclaimed through the prophet. Let's add Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 to the mix. The Apostle Peter, who was commissioned by the resurrected Lord, wrote this, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Malachi's prophecy originated with the will of God. Malachi was carried along by the Holy Spirit of God, and he spoke from God. No scripture originated with the author. All scripture originated with God. God himself has spoken through the author. I'll end with Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. This is a glorious ending for this sermon. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. By His Son. Many years ago, God spoke a message to Israel through Malachi. Other prophets as well. That's amazing. That was incredibly gracious. That was awesome. But Malachi prefigured a much greater prophet. God sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, as the preeminent prophet prophet to leave heaven and to come to earth to proclaim God's gospel. God has come and spoken to us directly to us through his son. That is where Malachi is pointing. That is where we have to look to Christ, the preeminent prophet. If you long to hear the voice of God, listen to Jesus Christ. Listen to all of scripture which speaks of Him. It's all about Him. Hear God speak to you through Christ's life, through Christ's death, through Christ's resurrection, all of the Bible, red, red letter. It comes from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is going to speak in Jerusalem church in the coming weeks. He's going to speak. You can come and hear him speak directly to us through the words on the page of Malachi because Malachi was faithful. God will not disappoint. God never disappoints. He has something to say to you, to me. It is a glorious message and so we must be ready to hear. The posture of our heart must be like, God, bring it to me. I want to hear what you're saying. And so I promise you, My brothers and sisters were in for an amazing journey through Malachi. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for inspiring the man Malachi who was faithful to write your scripture, to write your very message to Judah in the fifth century, we think, the fifth century BC. And God, that message so many years ago is still relevant for us today. There are so many parallels to where the church is today and where Judah was way back when. And so God, we long to hear your voice. Would you speak to us clearly through your word? And I pray that my brothers and sisters in Christ, me included with them, that we would cherish and value your word, that we would open it up every day and look into the glorious and fantastic things that you are saying to us. So many of us get confused about life. We don't know what's, what's going on. We're like, well, you tell us. In your word, we just simply need to go to it and believe what you're saying. What we see, un- un- unveiling in our world, un- unraveling uh, these events and stuff, it, we, we can understand it because you've told us about these things. So God, I pray that we would prepare our hearts to be humble, to receive Malachi, to receive your rebuke and to receive your incredible words of grace and promise pointing to Jesus Make us ready to hear this word. Make us believe your word that you have revealed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.